here last Sunday. So if you weren't here last Sunday, it's okay, because everything I'm going to share today stands alone, but I will be referencing back to the past weekend where we had a conference with Charles Karn and David Ray. Now, so for those of you that were here, I want to ask you a question, and I, you can just throw out the answers. This is going to be a bit informal today. We're going to be interacting a bit. I'm going to ask questions. Who, which, which member of the Trinity did we see in action over the course of the conference? Which member of the Trinity, of the Godhead, did we see in action? The Holy Spirit was at work, wasn't he? So God is, we sang the song, one plus one plus one equals one. God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. We have a mighty, amazing, incredible God who's too big for us to comprehend, who's too big for us to figure out, who's too powerful and mighty and intricate for us to dissect and sort out and put into our nice, neat little compartments. So some of it, our brain cannot comprehend, but God is three in one. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is seated in heaven on his throne, and he rules and he reigns from his throne in heaven, and of his kingdom there will be no end. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus the Son came to the earth and was born as a child on Christmas. We were celebrated as Christmas, but he was born as a child, and he came and wrapped himself in human flesh. Philippians says that he humbled himself and became as a man, and he set aside his power in the sense that he became as a man, anointed by the Holy Spirit. The Bible calls him the last Adam. He came to do what the first Adam did not do. So Jesus came as the last Adam. He came and he ministered. He grew up um, with his earthly parents. Joseph was not his real father. His real father was God Almighty because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit In Mary's womb, she was a virgin, and so Jesus was completely 100% God, but he was made flesh, and he was also completely man, a man under the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit. So until the day that Jesus saw John the Baptist and said to John, I need you to baptize me, and John said, oh, no, I'm... I can't, you're too, you're God, you know, who am I to baptize you? And Jesus said, it is necessary for you to baptize me. And so John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the water. And do you remember what happened when Jesus came up out of the water? The Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, in the form of a dove. So the people that were there literally physically saw a dove descending on Jesus. What did that dove symbolize? I already said it. (laughs) The Holy Spirit coming on Jesus, but it also represented the anointing of God coming upon him and releasing him into the ministry that God had set him to do. The Holy Spirit came and empowered him. It was at that time that God commissioned him and said, it is time to start your ministry. So as Jesus began his ministry, remember? So Jesus was driven from the, at that time into the desert where he was tested by Satan for 40 days. He fasted. He didn't drink anything. He didn't eat anything. And he fasted, and the, whole, the Holy Spirit took him there to be tested. But then Jesus came out, and it says he came out in the power of the Holy Spirit. So he came out as the Son of God, the Son of Man. And he came as a man, fully God, 100% God, but limited himself under the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit to do what Jesus, what he was called to do as the last Adam. So I'm hoping I'm not confusing anyone. But Jesus accomplished the work that he came to do. He ministered. He taught. He preached. He brought the kingdom of God. He healed. He delivered. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. He um, 
proclaimed God's gospel wherever he went, and he discipled his apostles, and he discipled others. And then Jesus went to the cross, and he hung on the cross for you and I, and he finished the work that he came to do, because when he was hanging on the cross, he said, it is finished. And he gave up his last breath, and he completely finished everything that he came to do. But before he went to the cross, he talked to his disciples, and he said, it is expedient, depending on which translation you read, or it is good for you, it is necessary, it is important that I go to my Father. Because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit can't come. But I must go, and when I go, I will send to you the Holy Spirit, and he will be with you always. And he will be your teacher, he will be your comforter, he will be your strengthener, he will be your counselor, he will be all these things. And so right now, where is Jesus? Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, isn't he? Because he accomplished what God has sent him to do. And he's also, by the Spirit of the living God, dwelling within the heart the soul, the, be- the spirit, I should say, of every believer who comes to him and receives him as Savior. The Holy Spirit then comes and takes up residence within us, not in your physical muscular organ that beats and keeps your blood pumping, but within your spirit. You become the temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit, not a temple made with hands, but a temple that is a fleshly dwelling. We are, you are, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So, Oh my goodness, I don't know where I just went, but that wasn't, who knows. (laughs) So we saw the Holy Spirit at work over the course of the conference. It was the Holy Spirit working. The Holy Spirit is in us, and he is with us. And there are men and women who God calls and sets apart for the work of ministry. It's found in Ephesians chapter And I'm going to just read it because I wanted you to realize that Charles and David are examples of men who have been called, and that can be men or women who are called by God and set apart. They're called gifts, that Jesus gave gifts to the body. And I'm in Ephesians chapter 4 now. The title of my message is, Are You Thirsty? Are You Thirsty? I'm in chapter 4 of Ephesians where it talks about how Jesus Christ... In verse 8, I'm just for the sake of time, I'm focusing on a few verses here, but you can later read this in context to get a fuller revelation of it. But it says that when Jesus ascended on high, he led captives in his train and he gave gifts to men. So he had descended, but now he ascended on high. But when he did, when he went to be with the Father, he gave gifts to the body of Christ, he gave gifts to the church. And in verse 11, it says, He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Okay, there's a lot in that. But Jesus, part of the plan was not only was God sending the Holy Spirit, to dwell in his believers, but he was going to appoint specific people to be 
in what's called the fivefold ministry, what we the church calls the fivefold ministry. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teachers. They all have different purposes. They all have different roles. But I want you to understand that Charles and David were sent ones. Like in the book of Acts, when we read about how God would send different people to different communities and different cities to encourage the church, to bring gifts to the church, to stir the church up, to exhort the church, to bring correction and insight to the church. That's what David and Charles were doing. So they were sent ones. They came. We brought them. We we invited them. We, we, we um, paid their way to come here to, to Alpena. But when we do this, when we bring people in, we don't just say, oh, let's see. Hmm. Look through my Rolodex. Who do I want to invite? No, we pray and we ask God, Lord, who are you knitting us with? Who are you putting us in relationship with? Who do you want to send and bring in? So we've had a number of speakers. And so recently we had David and Charles. And they were tremendous blessings from God. Now, most of you, many of you already understand so much about the working of the Holy Spirit, and so some of what I'll be sharing is going to kind of be a review, but I want to just make um, some, make sure that everyone is on the same page and understands uh, the working of the Holy Spirit so that we can embrace it and not be afraid of it, not be intimidated by it, and actually make ourselves more available to God to use us in that way. I read earlier when we first began the service together out of John chapter 7 where Jesus stood up on the, feast, the day of the Feast of Tabernacles and he said in a loud voice, I'm reading in John seven thirty seven. he said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. When you... Okay, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think that if we were able to physically snatch some of the early church uh, believers from the days of the book of Acts, let's say just from maybe the first uh, four or five years after Jesus ascended and they had experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit and there was revival happening and many people being swept into the kingdom, but they were also being persecuted, they were being scattered, but everywhere they went they were preaching the gospel and they were demonstrating the kingdom of God and people's lives were being changed and communities were being transformed. Do you think that if we could somehow reach back in time and say grab a dozen people from that time who were actively working with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we brought them on a tour of the church in the United States in our day and our hour. And they were able to go in to churches and see how we have church and see what we do and talk to Christians today. What do you think their response might be of the state of the Church of the United States of America, or the Western culture. They wouldn't be impressed. Misty said they wouldn't be impressed. Does everybody kind of have the same thought? I think they would literally be shocked. I think they would be appalled. (laughs) I think they would be astounded that we had so drifted so far from God's intention and what Jesus had taught the early disciples, and demonstrated. I think they would, have, they would just shake their heads in wonder and think, why? What? You have everything that we had. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the same Spirit of God. 
and you live in ease. You don't have the persecution that we had. You, you, you can have complete freedom to share your faith and to demonstrate the kingdom of God. What is holding you back? Don't you think they would be asking us those questions? So I think we need to ask ourselves those questions. And I am not, um, this is not a rebuke. I, I've been, I can do a rebuke if I need to, but this is not a rebuke. <laughs> this is a challenge. This is not meant to be, I'm not chastising you. I am challenging you to think. Think about what God's intention is, and, and for each and every one of us, what the potential is of what God wants to do through us. So I need to ask um, a question, because when Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, that invitation still echoes throughout the earth today. Jesus is saying the same thing. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. If there's any one of you, woman, male, man, child, you know, older person, all generations, if you're thirsty spiritually, come to me and drink. I've got living waters for you. Now, I've been known to do lots of illustrations, so here I am with my pitcher of water. But I just, and you may not be able to see very well, but I have a pitcher of water and some glasses. And I'm just pouring this water. And as you're watching, some of you may not know that you are physically dehydrated. Misty, I didn't ask you to be prepared for this question, but I know that you are anyway because you're a nurse. Misty, when people become dehydrated physically, when they lack hydration, when they become dehydrated, how does it affect their body? What can be some of the symptoms that they might have if they become dehydrated, severely dehydrated? Tenting of their skin, sunken eyes, um, with lethargy, they can be completely out of it, you know, laying just in a bed, not able to do anything, and then your blood pressure and your pulse... Those levels get crazy, and I mean, eventually you'll die. Your heart, heart, oh yeah, yeah, everything. So everything, when a person becomes physically dehydrated, many times we don't even realize we're dehydrated. Sometimes you um, maybe have a sick child, and you end up taking them to the doctor, and they say, oh, they're dehydrated. We need to get them hydrated right away. It affects everything in your body, everything. Now, I want to present to you that there's many of us who are Spiritually dehydrated. Your spirit man needs to be refreshed and revived. Because we can become spiritually dehydrated. And just like in the natural, we can become dehydrated where we need to have a drink. More than a drink, we need to have some water. And I'm actually thirsty right now. Excuse me. Um, We can become dehydrated in the natural, but we can become parched spiritually as well. And it can be very subtle. It can happen so easily, and we don't even realize how dry we've become. And actually, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, which um, I read out of earlier and I'm going to flip back to now, he says in Ephesians that we're not to be drunk with wine. I'm in Ephesians 5.18 where he's talking about not being foolish. Do not be unwise. I'll start actually in verse 15. Well, actually, I'm going to go up a little bit. I'm going to do a Gary, and I'm going to go up a little bit higher than that. (laughs) Oh, let's just go right all the way up to verse 8. I'm going to go to verse 8. It's all really good. (coughs) Ephesians 5, 8. 
For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So if you've been brought into the body of Christ and through Jesus, you've been brought into his family, you are no longer filled with darkness. You are filled with light. The light of God is in you. And he says, live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. He's saying, you know, the things that people that don't know the Lord do, it's even shameful to talk about it. It's just so grievous. And the Bible says in another place, such were some of us. You know, we've all, we all have our past. We all have our history. But God brings us out of that, and he changes us from the inside out. And he goes on to say, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, not as foolish. Don't live foolishly, but be wise. Make the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So he's getting ready to tell us what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And I'm going to come back and focus on that in just a moment. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Where it says be filled with the Holy Spirit, that is actually a verb that has the connotation of being a continual action. It's not a one-time filling. You, you know, you don't, you don't just get filled. You don't just fill this glass once. And then you'll always be able to drink out of it. Like if I drank it all now, I would need to refill the glass, wouldn't I? That's how we are with the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts shows that the early disciples prayed and asked God to fill us once again. Holy Spirit, fill us so that we can do signs and wonders. And it says that the whole place they were in was shaken and the Holy Spirit filled them afresh. And so this word here, be filled with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit, means to literally means to cram to level out as in full to the various, very top, to satisfy, to be completely filled and supplied and controlled by the Holy Spirit. So today, at the, at the end of my message, I am going to give an opportunity for anyone who feels like maybe you would like to be filled again with the Holy Spirit, to come to the front, and the ministry team will be available, our prayer team will be available to pray over you and to ask the Lord to refill your glass, your spiritual glass, that may have gotten a bit empty. Because you know what? We're always giving out. We are always giving out to others. I don't know about you, but I find that I am continually giving. And there's times where I just have to say, I just have to cry out to God and say, God, I need you. I'll just, I just talk to the Lord throughout the day, and a lot of times I'll just say, God, I really need you right now. I just ask you to fill me, fill me. And sometimes I literally imagine myself just reaching my hand out and God just grabbing a hold of my hand. And I'll just literally say, Father, I need you right now. I need your strength. I need your wisdom. So I just want to encourage you, cry out to God and acknowledge that you need him. We can go day by day by day by day and never take the time to tell God, I need you. I can't do this without you. I need your wisdom. I need your strength. I need everything that you can give me right now. And I just, you know, that's like, that's a relationship. God wants a relationship with us. My 
Achilles heel, if you will, is that um, I was the oldest of seven, and you, some of you have heard this before, but I was the oldest of seven, born within a 10-year span, so I was like second mom. I was like drill sergeant mom, you know, and I knew how to make sure that everything got done that needed to get done. My mom was a busy lady. She was started working. Um, she was going to school to get her degree. Um, I had a lot of responsibility as a little girl. I really wasn't, I didn't have much time to be a little girl, to be honest with you. But um, so I grew up knowing how to make things happen, knowing how to be misresponsibility, knowing how to notice everything, whether it needed to be done, oh, this needs to be done, this needs to be done, and I could delegate and all that stuff. And I could still do all of that. It's a natural skill I have. And on top of that, one of the spiritual gifts that God gave me was the gift of administration. So I am, can be very organized, and I can like oversee all kinds of things, and it's not at all stressful to me most of the time. I mean, I do get stressed sometimes, but God has taught me a lot about resting in him. But that can be, my strength can be my weakness. Because then I can get into a mode, I can get into a pace and forget that I need to check in with God. And say, I need you. I need you. And I have been learning more and more and more and more to say, God, I need you. I cannot do this without you. I need your power. I need your spirit. And I want to say to you, you need God too. You need him. You need him in every bit of your life. Everything, everything that you do, all of the questions, all the decisions, all of the relationships, everything, you need him. Make sure you tell him that. Make sure you acknowledge that. Lean into your Father. Lean into Him. Cry out and call upon the Holy Spirit to give you strength, to give you wisdom, because He wants us to have this kind of a relationship with Him. When Gary and I were dating, we spent a lot of time talking on the phone. Do you all remember those days? (laughs) This is back in the day of the rotary dial phone, guys. There's no cell phones. No FaceTime. (laughs) <laughs> and people would call our house and they'd get busy signal, you know, because I was on the phone and my dad would have to limit and say, all right, only X number of minutes on the phone, and then you'd try to hope that he wouldn't notice that you were on the phone beyond that because you just wanted to talk to each other. What did you talk about? Who knows? It wasn't anything all that important, but you just wanted to talk to each other. You wanted to spend time to each other, with each other, rather. And you know what? After we got married... We didn't always want to spend as much time with each other. And the fervency and the passion wasn't always there. And we had to start to guard it. We had to realize that we had to cultivate that. And that's how it can be with our relationship with the Lord. When we come to the Lord, we can feel really like, oh, this is amazing. I'm a child of God. He's in me. Wow, this is so incredible. I want to tell everybody about it. And then things began to get a little dry. And we began to get a little distracted. And we just began to not have that same passion for the Lord. And so I think the times where we have speakers like Charles and David, it rekindles that passion like Jim was talking about. You know, now he's got a deeper passion to cry out to God for the lost. Well, God wants to do something like that in every single one of us. He wants us to be continually filled with his Holy Spirit. And I want to talk now just briefly about some of the other things that happened Last week, when the Holy Spirit was moving among us, when he was releasing the kingdom of God in our midst. You see, God has a kingdom. He is the king. 
And he has a kingdom, and his kingdom is powerful and mighty and incredible. And when God's people are moving in the power of his Holy Spirit, guess what they take with them wherever they go? They take the power of the Holy Spirit with them in the kingdom of God. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning like right here. He also said the kingdom of God is within you. Now, wherever I go, I bring the kingdom. Wherever you go, you bring the kingdom of God. There's another realm out there. It's the realm of darkness where the enemy traffics. It's the realm where the enemy, um, Charmaine, I think it was sharing about seeing some people get delivered and set free from demonic oppression. That's the realm of darkness. When the kingdom of God comes, it's meant to push back that realm of darkness. It's meant to push it back and to snatch people out of the clutches of the enemy's influence, okay? So I want to make clear that when we belong to Jesus Christ, When we come to Jesus, he paid a price for you. He died, he spilled his blood, he was beaten, he was whipped, he was, you know, it says in Isaiah 53 that he was crushed for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace fell upon him, that he went as a lamb to the slaughter for us. So Jesus paid the price on the cross for every single one of us. Peter's, the apostle Peter wrote and he said, you were not redeemed with just, you know, temporal things, with just things that were cheap. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So Jesus paid a price for every single one of us. And when you give your life to Jesus, and if you are here today and you have never given your life to Jesus, you need to do that. You need to give your life to Jesus because you're you're in darkness and you will not be able to experience the things that I'm talking about. God wants to bring you into his light. But when you give your life to Jesus, you belong to him. You belong to him because he paid a price for you. He paid a price. He paid his blood. So now you belong to him. You are under his ownership. You've been adopted and brought into his family. And if you belong to him, the enemy cannot possess you. Satan cannot possess you. So I am not talking about people, when I'm talking about people getting set free from demonic bondage, I am not talking about Christians being possessed by the devils. Do not mistake what I am saying. There are people that we have prayed with before who did not belong to Jesus who were bound up, I would say, like in spiritual chains, who had literally, um, we prayed with a young woman one time many years ago, who had literally prayed a prayer to Satan. She wanted something, and she said, if you will give me this thing, I will serve you the rest of my life. And by the time we met her, she was in terrible torment, um, demons tormenting her at night with horrible dreams. She was just, she was demonized, and I would say that she probably was, uh, I would consider, possessed because she did not have Jesus in her heart, and she had so far gone into the occult and into demonic um, activity that she had opened up every aspect of her life. The good news is that she did get set free. She did get set free, glory to God. But when Jesus comes into a person's life, he becomes their owner, and you belong to him. And so you cannot be possessed by anything else but the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. In the Bible, it talks about demonization, and that Greek word literally means demonized or oppressed. Oppressed. doesn't mean possessed, but it means oppressed. And the enemy, Satan, and demonic spirits, they're real. Uh, They don't all live in Africa, as I heard a a pastor friend of ours many, 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 many years ago. He's retired now, but God bless his, God bless his heart. You know, He taught in his church that there were no demons in the United States. They were all in Africa and that we didn't have to worry about it. I remember one of my friends who attended his church telling me that, and I thought, 
I don't even know what to say to that one. <laughs> but here's the thing. The enemy, Satan, and demonic spirits can go wherever sin goes. Wherever sin goes, they have access. And also where there's sickness, believe it or not, they can come on the back of that sickness. If you study through all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and if you, I did this one day and I, because I had heard someone preach it, and I thought, I'm not going to preach it unless I know it's true. So I took a whole day and I recorded all, went through every Gospel and recorded every place where there was healing. And many, many of the healings, about one-third actually of the, the healings that we see recorded in Scripture were actually deliverance. Um, people were delivered from demonic spirits that were afflicting them physically and causing symptoms of sickness. Okay, Does that mean that everybody that got, has a sickness needs to have deliverance? No, but sometimes it can be part of the cause. Okay, So, um, so there's a lot of things that can go on. Wherever sickness goes, sometimes the enemy will attack you in that area. And wherever sin goes, the enemy can attack you in that area. Again, it does not mean you are demon-possessed. Please don't get me wrong. But it does mean that you may have an influence riding around on your shoulders, lying to you, telling you things in your mind, tormenting your mind, tormenting you at night. Um, you can have... Um, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some examples. Let me give you some examples here. And the reason I'm talking about this today is because we did see people being set free from demonic oppression last week over the conference. And because of the time today, I won't be able to share a lot about this, but I think we'll probably continue it next week. But I want to just talk a little bit about the freedom because we're thirsty for more of the Holy Spirit. And where the Holy Spirit comes, he wants to bring freedom. And, you know, even, even now, when I'm talking about this, if any of you are experiencing things like a headache, pressure on your chest, sense of anxiety and fear, a feeling like, I just want to get out of here, I just wish she would shut up and quit talking about this, that can, be, that can actually be um, possibly a sign that there may be something that's been oppressing you, and, the, and they don't want you to hear the truth. I'm serious. I'm serious, because I know myself, I had demonic oppression in my mind. As a child, I experienced a lot of rejection. It was just the way it was in my family. I experienced a lot of rejection. There was a lot of anger, a lot of um, turmoil in my family. I myself became very angry. That's how I reacted to what was happening in my family because I couldn't control it, I couldn't fix it, and I reacted in a very angry way toward my dad. And so I opened up, not even knowing, I opened up the door to anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, and I experienced rejection. And so I had a lot of lies in my mind. And when I came to Christ, I was made new on the inside, but my mind was still oppressed and still filled with dark lies and things that I believed about myself, things that I believed about God, because I transferred what I had experienced with my earthly father to my heavenly father. So I had all kinds of lies I believed about God. I thought I had to earn his love. I thought that I couldn't trust him because he would not be reliable, because my earthly father had never been reliable or trustworthy. Therefore, I knew I couldn't trust God, and I had to be in charge of my life, and I couldn't trust him with my family, and I had to make sure that I didn't let go and that you know, I, I held on to everything tightly. So I had a lot, of, a lot of bondages in my life. And I remember when I was getting prayer one time, it felt like a vice was on my head. It felt like somebody was just tightening the vice, and I could feel pressure on my head. And it was so tense, and I was so uncomfortable. And I, the person who was praying with me, I said, I 
feel like something's happening on my head. I just feel like there's a vice grip on my head. And she said, we're going to keep praying. I'm like, yeah, that's easy for you to say. I'm the one experiencing these symptoms, you know. But um, basically what it was was she was praying against rejection at that point. And as she continued to pray, I felt something breaking off of me. And my mind was beginning to be released. And what was it that she was praying against? She was praying against a demonic stronghold of rejection that had taken a grip on my mind. I was a born-again believer, but I still had lies. The Bible calls them strongholds. It's a place where the enemy hides and where he traffics because we've got things that we've believed that are not true. And so the Holy Spirit wants to come and illuminate that and set people free like Danelle talked about for her family. Praise God. Where did she go? She's upstairs with the kids, I think. Praise God that her husband and her son got some freedom last week. It was things that were, you know, tormenting this family. And God said, enough. It's time. Freedom for my son. Freedom for my son. Freedom for this family. So you see, God is in the business of setting us free. That's what Jesus' job description was. I'm going to take you to two different places. Isaiah 58, prophecy about Jesus. One of my... um, one of my life passages, you know, sometimes there are scriptures that God just highlights to you, and I'm winding down, I'm, I'm closing very soon here for those of you who are patiently um, listening. One of my life verses is in Isaiah 58, and sometimes God will just take verses or passages of scripture that he quickens to you, but this is one of mine, Isaiah 58, starting in verse 6. But he's, he's talking to the people of Israel, and he's saying, you know what? You have a form of godliness. You fast, and you do things with outward appearance, but I'm not looking for things that are just external. This is the kind of fast that I'm calling for. This is what's acceptable to me. In verse 6 of Isaiah 58, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is this? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter and when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer and you will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, in other words, he's saying, Treat your neighbor as yourself. Quit gossiping. Quit accusing one another. Quit pointing your finger at each other. And if you spend yourself in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday, and the Lord will guide you always. And he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, and he will strengthen your frame. And you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations and you will be called restorer or repairer of the broken walls and restorer of the streets and the do- with dwellings. These are all promises with, from God. And he's saying, listen, if you will live the way that I have called you to live and help people get set free and minister to other people, then you're going to be like a well-watered garden. And you're going to be able to build, rebuild instead of tear down. So these are all the things that God promises. These, this is our job description. And in Isaiah 61 a prophecy about Jesus. 
echoes this very thing. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Isaiah 61, verse 1. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, and the oil of gladness instead of mourning. Patty, that's your verse, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So folks, this is our job description. This is Jesus's job description, and this is also our job description. And next week, we'll talk more about um, setting captives free, setting people free. But I wanted to give you a scripture reference in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, is where it talks about bringing strongholds, thoughts in our mind into obedience and making them captive. Because a lot of us have things in our mind that are like fortresses where the enemy is able to influence us and put his wicked finger in our mind and torment us. And Jesus not only died for our sins, but he also died to set the captives free from any kind of place or area where the enemy is oppressing us. He wants to set us free. And I am going to close there because uh, there's too much to get into with the topic of being set free or delivered. But uh, I'd like to ask you just to close your eyes right now as we wrap up our time together. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here. We thank you that you are here. And that you want to fill your children with the living waters of the well of salvation, the well of your Holy Spirit. You want to fill us afresh and anew where we're parched and thirsty spiritually. You want to refresh us. You want to minister to your children. So if I could have the ministry team, the prayer team, the New Life prayer team woven or regular prayer team come forward. I know we're missing a lot of our guys today because they are just finishing up the advance. But if you're a part of the prayer team, if you would come forward. And um, Jim, could you help, help Doug move this for now, please? Thank you. And if you girls could just put, Pinky, if you could put some music on, that would be great. I want to invite you just to come and receive a blessing from the Holy Spirit. Just to come and receive his blessing. Because, you know, God started something last weekend. but He wants that to continue every Sunday. Some of you weren't here last weekend. Some of you may have felt like you were just like a sponge. You know, a real sponge gets hard when it's not moist. And you have to put it in water. And sometimes it will float on the top of the water. So there are times where you receive prayer and you feel like, I'm just floating on the top of the water. You know, nothing's really happening. But I want to assure you that something always happens when you receive prayer, whether you feel something or you don't. God is always touching you, and you will eventually notice the change. And sometimes you need to keep getting prayer so that your sponge can stop being hard and dry, and you start wicking in, drawing in, receiving the water, the living water of the Holy Spirit. So if you feel like, you know, I went up and got prayer before, nothing changed for me. You may be like the sponge, and you may just need to have another dunk in the water of the Holy Spirit. So I invite you to come.
Just come, if you would, right now. And I'm going to pray a blessing over everyone here, but I invite all of you who would to come and receive prayer. And those of you that need to go, you're free to go. There's also refreshments in the lower level. Everyone is invited to that. But Father, I thank you for your children. I ask you to bless them. I pray, Lord God, that the things that we've talked about today would just manifest in in their hearts in a powerful way that there would just be um, thoughts and seeds and the power of your word just explode on the inside of them. Draw each one of them closer to you, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.